Good morning. Um, so as you can tell, we're doing something a little different today, and uh, we just pray that this service will be an encouragement to you as we take time to celebrate the Lord's table. And I thought as we were uh, preparing for the service, you know, Jesus celebrated this meal with his disciples in the upper room, as Pastor Dustin read, the night before he died. And this occurs, you know, in this last week we call his Passion Week. And so uh, we thought it would be very appropriate one week before we celebrate the resurrection to take time and think through God's word of the importance of this meal that we have to celebrate together. Since 1919, the United Kingdom has recognized a day called Remembrance Day. This This day, like our Memorial Day, calls the United Kingdom to pause and remember the sacrifices of those who have perished in war. And at 11 a.m. on Remembrance Day, a two-minute moment of silence is observed all throughout the United Kingdom. Almost 2,000 years ago, another sort of Remembrance Day was instituted in the upper room in Jerusalem. If we would have been present, we might have heard the words of our Lord as Paul wrote them to us in 1 Corinthians 11. This morning, we are considering the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. What I mean by ordinance is that it is a command. Jesus gave a command to his followers to celebrate this meal When you look at the passage that Randy read a few minutes ago from 1 Corinthians 11, you get the sense that these believers were far from enjoying this table the way that it should have been enjoyed and celebrated. And so as we take time to consider this Uh, This wonderful opportunity that we as God's people have to to share in the table of the Lord. I want us to be thoughtful in our meditation as we consider what Jesus has accomplished, not just for us personally. But everything that we read about in 1 Corinthians 11 is fit around the body of Christ, us corporately as the family of God. That the challenges and commands came out of a wrong view of celebrating the table as a community. And Paul calls us back to that togetherness that we are to have. The memorial observation is of great importance. It was instituted by the Lord himself. And he called us as his people to observe it until he returns. And so for at least 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has, has been observing this table. I believe that we are commanded by the Lord to observe this table because he knows how prone we are to forget. We're prone to forget, to lose sight of what Jesus accomplished To forget what he has done to secure our salvation. We see in the Old Testament that many times God would call his people, the nation of Israel, to remember what he has done. 
And he called them in those moments, whether it was to set up a a pile of rocks as they crossed the Jordan River, or whether they were called to set up a certain feast day that they would celebrate and remember, that they would have these moments that they would be able to look back and remember what was accomplished for them. It's the nature of man to soon forget yesterday's blessing. And so we need memorials. We need a remembrance day. We need moments in our lives when we can stop and remember all that Jesus has done for us. But as we remember, we need to remember carefully. Because there is a penalty for careless observations. We need to understand what we're doing. Now, the context of 1 Corinthians 11 is all about worship. That's what Paul is teaching on. He's teaching uh, this church in Corinth that had a lot of problems. That there was a lot of disorder in their worship of God. The first 16 verses of 1 Corinthians Corinthians 11 is all about what is proper in the worship service. In verses 17 and 18, and then in verse 33, we see that Paul is speaking about worship in the context of the local church. He refers to their meetings and their coming together. These are not isolated things. These are not things that we just practice by ourselves. But as the people of God who have been fit together in the body of Christ, as Christ is the head, we are instructed, we are called to properly engage God in worship. I want to suggest to you that the Lord's Supper is an act of worship in which we remember and declare the value and worth of Christ's sacrifice. It should be a time for reflection and self-examination and thankfulness and praise. And we do it together. As one body. We have seen previously in other passages of Scripture that worship is the act of response to God whereby we declare His worth. That's what the word worship means to declare worth. And whether it's the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, or the way that we listen to God's word, when we gather in this place, we are declaring the worth of God. Because he alone is worthy. We are not here for ourselves. But we are here to express our affections to him for just how good he is. In verses 17 through 22 in 1 Corinthians 11, the context of the abuse of the Lord's table was fit around their meals. And so just so you get an understanding of what was going on in the first century church, they would have love feasts. They would have sacrificial love feasts. It was kind of like our modern day potlucks. So think about what we do on a fifth Sunday when we all bring our favorite dish in. we go downstairs and we set up the tables and we, we share food together and we share fellowship together. They did that in the first century. And so as they were gathering, when you read in 1 Corinthians 11, there was a problem. The problem was, as they were gathering together, you had people from 
all around Corinth from different backgrounds. You had some wealthy people and you had some poor people. And what was happening was the wealthy people were bringing their food in. And rather than giving other people the opportunity to eat it first, they were jumping in line and grabbing their favorite things and sitting down and leaving nothing for those who were of great need. They were practicing selfishness, not selflessness. And it would be during this love feast as they would gather together after it was finished, they would celebrate the Lord's table. Now, some Old Testament or New Testament scholars believe that the early church celebrated the Lord's table as often as they met. Whether it was weekly, more than that, they would take time to remember this table, to remember the significance of the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. Paul even warns in 1 Corinthians 11 that they were coming into this meal eating and drinking to the point of being drunk. And it just, I can't comprehend that around such a special moment for the church that people were acting like gluttons and drunkards and abusing the gift of this remembrance, this memorial sacrifice. If you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 16 through 17, Paul says this, referring to the Lord's table, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Do you see the unity that we are to have? Now, I say these things to you as a church and as the pastor of the church where I'm not concerned that we are uh, full of disunity and fractures and, you know, warring tribes on either side of the aisle that can't look at each other. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying, though, is what a great opportunity we have as the body of Christ to gather as one body. Because sometimes we look at communion and we think this is what Christ did for me. Well, it's not just what Christ did for me. It's what Christ did for us. And we celebrate that together in the Lord's table. And it's such a wonderful reminder of the amazing grace of God that comes into a sinner's heart to redeem that person. The body of Christ is one. As Paul said, we share in one body. But we are to share it and celebrate in a way that gives God great worth. The danger is we can share it in an unworthy manner. And that's really what the last part of 1 Corinthians 11 warns us against, beginning in verse 27 and following. Now the word unworthy or unworthily is an adverb that describes eating the bread and drinking the cup Rather than the character of the person, it's what we're doing or how we're doing it. 
And Paul warns us, don't be careless in sharing this table. Such action makes the participant guilty of a crime committed against the body and blood of Jesus Christ. To be careless about the Lord's table is committing a crime against what Jesus has done on the cross. Paul says, do not do it in an unworthy manner. And as such, if we do it in an unworthy manner, we're liable of punishment. And what does Paul say about the punishment? That's why some of you are sick. And that's even why some of you fall asleep. And we're not talking about taking a nap. The word sleep that Paul uses is die. Now remember, these are God's people. That's how the end of 1 Corinthians 11 finishes up. He says in verse 32, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Condemnation isn't ours anymore. Jesus paid for that. But discipline is for God's children. And we need to remember that this is all part of how we celebrate this table. So what does Paul say to do? Examine ourselves. We're called to examine in verse 28. That word examine implies a test with a view to approval. In other words, this is viewed as preparation to come, not to stay away. Paul is saying, come to the table. Examine yourself as you come to the table. Don't don't look at it as I am so unworthy. I can't come to the table. We come to the table through the blood of Jesus. But he asks us to test our hearts. We do this because there is a danger of an improper estimation of who we are when we stand before a memorial that reminds us of the body and blood of Jesus. The one who fails to examine himself brings judgment. But if you come before this table and properly understand your place as a redeemed sinner, appreciating all that Jesus has done, we get to enjoy in the feast of the Lord's table, remembering the cross, remembering the sacrificial death of Jesus. And so what we'd like to do just for the next few moments, and it's going to be extremely uncomfortable for some of you, is that we're going to be quiet. We're going to pause. This is a good time to silently come before the Lord and examine your own life and light of his work on the cross for you. I pray that you don't do it in an unworthy manner. And when I mean unworthy, I don't mean, you know, the self-deprecating, I don't belong here kind of thing. I mean, none of us belong, right? That's the beauty of this table. It's the reminder to all of us, none of us belong here. Jesus paid it all. 
but that we don't do it in an unworthy manner, knowing that there are things going on in our lives that hinder us from truly appreciating the sacrifice of Jesus. And so very practically, if that means there is any unconfessed sin in your life, confess it to God. If there's any bitterness, bitter feelings against someone in this church or another church or in the faith, confess it to God. If you are here and have never admitted to God that you are a sinner, then come to him and ask him for forgiveness of your sins. And we're going to pray silently. And you're going to know when it's time to not be silent anymore. Because Eric's going to come up and lead us in prayer as we thank God for the gift of forgiveness. When Leonardo da Vinci was 43 years old, the, the Duke Ludovincio of Milan asked him to paint a dramatic scene of Jesus's last supper with his disciples. Working slowly and giving meticulous care to details, he spent three years on the assignment. He grouped the disciples into threes, two groups on either side of the central figure of Christ. Christ's arms are outstretched and his right hand, he holds a cup painted beautifully with marvelous realism. When the masterpiece was finished, the artist said to a friend, observe it and give me your opinion of it. And the friend exclaimed, it's wonderful. The cup is so real. I cannot divert my eyes from it. And immediately, Leonardo took a brush and drew across the sparkling cup. He exclaimed as he did so, nothing shall detract from the figure of Christ. The purpose of communion as we might lift up our eyes to the throne of grace is to focus without distraction on the person of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the supper is remembrance. Robert Saucy remarks that to remember in biblical thought is not so much a mental transportation of thought back to the moment of the occurrence of an event. It is rather the dynamic recalling of the past so that it again becomes a present reality. To recall in biblical thought means to transport an action which is buried in the past in, a, in such a way that its original potency and vitality are not lost, but are carried over into the present. John Nelson Darby said this, In the Lord's Supper, the heart, the heart is brought back to a point in which it is entirely dependent, in which man is nothing, in which Christ and his love are everything in which the heart is exercised and the conscience remembers that it has needed cleansing and that it has been cleansed by the work of Christ, that we depend absolutely on His grace. The affections also are in the fullest exercise. So what is it that we remember as we partake in the Lord's table? 
the first thing that we remember is the past work of Christ, his death. We ought not forget what the Bible teaches about mankind. Romans 3.23 says, for the wages of, or for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 adds, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to remember the price paid for our forgiveness. The bread is a symbol of the body of Christ. He died for us. That is, he died in behalf or on our stead. He took our place in playing the pen, or paying the penalty for our sins. The blood, which is the, the wine or the juice, reminds us that Jesus inaugurated the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, we read that God had promised to write his law, not on tablets of stone, but on the hearts of his people. And when Jesus gave the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, he is inaugurating the new relationship that God has with the people who place their faith in him. That we no longer approach God in an antiquated by laws of stone kind of way, but that he writes his law on our hearts through the power of his spirit as he lives inside of us. Jesus paid the price for our forgiveness by becoming our sacrifice for sin. We also acknowledge the present work of Christ. So often we focus on the past. We like to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. That story is wonderful and it needs retold and meditated upon with regularity. But the work of Christ did not end with Calvary. That even right now, we need to remember that Jesus is our high priest and he sits at the right hand of the father and he prays for us and intercedes for us and he pleads our case as we know that there is an adversary, the devil, who is making accusations to God, the father. Jesus is always pleading our case, saying, father, look at what I have done for them. He is our advocate. Jesus comes to our defense. He is our great shepherd. And he cares for us daily. He has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He is the head of the church and he gives us guidance and direction. The Lord's table also prepares us for the future work of Christ. We need to remember the past and the present. But we also look forward to the future. Christ will come again. He will judge the sin of this world. He will reward the believer for what they have done in the flesh. He will set up his kingdom. He will rule forever. I long for the day of Christ's return. Not so much as an escape from the drudgery of this life, but because I want to see him and be with him. I long for Christ's return because he will set everything right. There will be no poverty, no sickness, no injustice, no oppression. Satan will be put 
in his proper place. Evil men will at last receive justice. The purpose of communion is that we might lift our eyes from everything around us and focus them without distraction on the person of Jesus Christ. What He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. The purpose of this supper is remembrance. Paul writes in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, For as often as you eat of this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Now this Greek word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 11.26 for proclaim is the same word that is used elsewhere in the New Testament for preaching. The word carries the idea of a message with weight and authority. And when you think about it, that is exactly what happened when we partook in the elements of the Lord's table. The Lord's Supper is a visible sermon for us. And every time we celebrate in this table, we proclaim what the Lord has accomplished, the message of the cross. We join together as his body to celebrate the Lord's humiliation and the Lord's exaltation. In this context, the proclamation takes place in the community of believers at worship. It is the recollection of the saints of the basis of its salvation and the death of Christ. The Lord's Supper is the reminder of what Jesus has done for us. It is the time to remember what our grounds of praise, adoration, song, Worship, thanks, and testimony are. Communion is first and foremost a memorial rite of Christ and his redemptive death. Based upon a common participation in Christ and his salvation, there is also a mutual unity that we celebrate together. When we celebrate communion, it is in the context of people coming together to share something that they have in common. Sinful people redeemed by a gracious Savior. And that is the essence of our fellowship. We have taken extra time this morning to observe the Lord's Supper. We have taken the time for examination Remembrance and proclamation. And we have shared these things together as the body of Christ. That is our true fellowship. Our faith in Jesus unites us and makes us a family. And so as we close, we're going to stand together as we sing our final two songs.